I, I think the role for Taysom um, really is going to be a lot more of the um, kind of F tight end, move tight end type of role. I think that's I think that's the direction that we need to move with him because I think he can be one of the better players in the league in, in that role. And and so I don't like having Taysom. If Jameis is out there playing quarterback, I don't really like Taysom standing next to me on the sideline. The 4 o'clock football frenzy is presented by Dustin DeHart of Nova Home Loans. Call him now at 702-577-2600. Football frenzy time. Dennis Allen. We'll get to what he was saying about Taysom Hill. Uh, just to follow up on Kelvin Sampson, coach of Houston, is coming into town in May with a bunch of other coaches, coaches versus cancer. Of course, all put together originally by one Lon Kruger. I'm not off base, right? When I look at Houston and I'm like, man, that, that, that could be UNLV again. Is that unrealistic? Kelvin Sampson coming? I mean, it's possible. Yeah. It's not impossible. Uh, what you're saying right now about should you lower expectations under the current circumstances for UNLV and what the athletic department is willing to pay a head coach, yeah, you probably should lower your expectations. Because right now, whether Kevin Kruger is or not, you have two possible outcomes. If he isn't great, you're going to fire him and you're going to get another coach for probably similar, if not a little bit more money. If he's great, he's going to leave for a job that pays better like his dad did. So in the end, that's where UNLV is at the moment. In a cycle where if they achieve, they can't pay the coach? In a cycle where if they achieve for multiple years, they probably can't afford to pay the coach with what they're doing right now. And so when Kelvin Sampson talks about $20 million coming in from Fertitta, yeah, Makes a big difference, and the name Kelvin Sampson makes a big difference too. Well, the Mendenhall was at the time a a pricey proposition. It's been around for a while, so obviously costs have gone way up. My guess is that the Mendenhall is every bit as nice as what Houston has. Now, Kelvin Sampson makes three million dollars a year. If if Kevin Kruger were kicking booty and taking names, and I think he can do a really good job, but if he gets to a point where he's coveted. Could UNLV and its backers get to $3 million? I actually do believe that. Now, this is putting the cart before the horse. They just had an 18-14 and 14 season. Let, let's first get there. But this, it's weird. Like, this constant worry in the market of, of, you know, we, I'll say we, can't get there. First of all, that's not, that's not true because we just saw Reno turn into a Sweet 16 program a couple of years ago. Get there first and then worry about coming up with the funds for your coach. It's possible, Steve, and I don't think that for the right name, it's off the table. But is that the likely outcome for UNLV right now? I don't think so. I just don't think it is because you had a head coach making about double what Kevin Kruger is making in TJ Otzelberger, and you would have to then double that to get to just what Kelvin Sampson is making right now. And frankly... A head coach with Kelvin Sampson's experience generally is going to need more than $3 million. There are obviously some extenuating circumstances there. Yeah, I'd have to look back to see where he started. His, his story is actually kind of amazing because I would love to see a book written or you know something extensive put out about the actual violations in Indiana that got him a five-year, 
Five-year suspension from college basketball. Essentially five years he was away from college basketball working in the NBA for like seven years. And you look at what some of the guys now, self-imposed penalties. You look, come on. I mean, LSU finally dropped Will Wade. Arizona finally dropped Sean Miller. Bruce Pearl is still at USC. Andy Enfield is still at, check that, Enfield's at USC. Pearl's still at Auburn. Five years. Well, what is it for? What was it for? It was for phone calls. Almost everything yeah. about Kelvin yeah. Sampson's situation was for yeah. impermissible phone calls. 550 which, phone calls to like 17 different recruits. Hello, it's cute. five years. It sounds cute. Yeah. Like in, in today's environment, impermissible phone calls sound cute. And is that the only thing that happened with his program or any other program for that matter? Who the hell knows? The point of the matter is the system has been arcane from the jump. And NIL should only be the beginning of what we're going to do to reform this. All right, Taysom Hill, off of what Dennis Allen was saying, I, I don't know where this idea came from, but now he's going to be a tight end. And I think what Allen was saying is actually pretty smart, which without saying it, like he can't play quarterback. Uh, we've got a valuable utility weapon here. He's standing on the sideline next to me. What's the freaking point? But I also think, was Dennis Allen wherever he was, on the field or upstairs, looking at Sean Payton with Taysom Hill, and he's like, God, you're an idiot. What are we doing with this guy? He can't play quarterback, Sean! I love it. I love every minute of it. He's a tight I love it. Dennis Allen is all of us. Dennis Allen is every one of us who ever looked at Taysom Hill and thought to him, why is Sean Payton obsessed with this dude? What is it? Taysom Hill is going to make millions upon millions upon millions of dollars and when someone asks what did Taysom Hill do in his NFL career no one's going to be able to describe it in less than 500 words and none of them are going to amount to anything it's amazing do you like the Allen hire with the Saints not particularly no um but <laughs> at the same time like that franchise has a way and that franchise is going to stick to its way and they're not going to be told otherwise and it is not surprising to me that the Benson family decided to keep it in-house uh, with Dennis Allen, but I, I, there's not a lot I've looked at with the Saints franchise the last two or three years and thought, eh, you know, they probably need to keep that going. No, Breeze is gone, and Breeze was everything, but they're not willing to admit that yet. They're going to end up in a, you know, without the Matt Ryan contract, going through the Matt Ryan years of the Falcons. Let's get to the owners' meetings and what's going on down in Florida. As uh, Miles Simmons is on the road for pro football talk, we'll get into the uh, change with the overtime rule. Uh, there's some more stadium talk now that Buffalo is on the verge of getting uh, nearly a billion dollars. Other people are starting to speak up, and we'll also talk about some of the uh, changes to the Rooney rule. Miles Simmons on the way from pro football talk. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. It's Cofield and Company, live from the Finley Toyota Studio on ESPN Las Vegas. All right, we're going to talk uh, about UNLV's new quarterback, at least a guy in the mix, transfer from Tennessee, Harrison Bailey, in like 15 minutes. Had uh, some comments from him. We'll play for you. Other UNLV news, Donovan Williams, a UNLV basketball player, has put his name in the NBA draft. Now, he is retaining his eligibility, but we'll see where this goes. So he's going to test things out. We talked to Nico Medved yesterday about what David Roddy would do. He didn't know what Roddy was going to do. So we'll see what happens here with Donovan Williams. We'll follow up on that 
in just a couple of seconds. Adam Candy is with us. We'll get his mic up in a second. Miles Simmons is down in Florida. Uh, it appears to be, uh, I don't know, wildlife around his room. Uh, Miles, when you first sent out the picture of the lizard, I actually thought it was uh, like a faraway shot of an alligator, but it was a close-up shot of a lizard. Yes, thankfully it was only a close-up shot of a lizard. I don't think we would want me to be around some sort of alligator. That would have been awful. Are you, not you, you, you suggested you were already done. Are you, are you not a Florida guy? No, I mean, I've spent a lot of time here in South Florida, particularly this part of South Florida. I used to have family that lived down here, which is nice, but, you know, I don't need to be down here anymore. You know, I live in California. No. It's great. It's not humid. I don't, I don't need that. Well, that, that, that is a difference. That is a, that is a difference. Right? I yeah. mean, like, it's a significant difference. And yes. I'm not trying to, like, say that Florida's terrible, even though Florida is terrible, but, like, not because of that. You know, it's mostly just the humidity, and there's a little too much wildlife for me. So, you know, I like to be in California where it's a little less wet. Mountain lions over alligators. Yeah, I don't need to go into the mountains. Like, they don't, mountain lions don't bother you. You know, you just have to really go into their space, at least usually. You know, but uh, here, like I said, it was, I just opened my window and all of a sudden, like, bam, there's a reptile. Oh, I don't need that in my life. Okay. <laughs> I, I need overtime rule changes in my life. I don't need them just for the playoffs. I don't get what just happened today. Um, I don't feel like we needed overtime rule changes, but like I'm in the minority on that. It's like me and Mike Tomlin and I think nobody else. Um, I personally think it's fine just for the playoffs if that's what people are mostly going to complain about. And based on the reporting, it seemed like it wasn't going to pass unless it was just for the playoffs, right? I think that a lot of times coaches and some of these teams kind of feel like if this thing were for every single game, it would make games a little bit too long. And that was something that Kyle Shanahan was talking about today when I was um, with him at the whole media availability this morning, is that he was saying, you know, if we have games that keep going longer and longer, it affects the next week. And when you have guys that have played basically an entire extra quarter, it really does affect them for the next week. And that's not something that he as a coach really wants to see, you know, on a full-time basis. So, that, I think, is why you're getting it where it's just for the postseason and that sort of fairness doctrine has to be enacted there because, look, you have a long time, four quarters, to beat a team. So I don't think we have to be all fair and whatnot once we get to overtime. <laughs> all right, Miles, I... I, I don't love having to make these changes, and, and having to, I guess, is strong, but I, there are not many ways that I think of myself as a Neanderthal when it comes to football, but oh boy, doesn't defense still matter? Do, do, shouldn't yes. the defense still have to get a stop, right? Yes. Like, no, okay. you can't, you know, we, we, we agree on this. Like, okay. I think defense yeah. should matter. Yeah. If you... If you're so mad about it, then stop them. You know, there are three phases. In this but here, but here's the thing. Every every rule change, Miles, has been made to debilitate the defense. It's almost like, you I know, know what? Screw it. Pass interference is out of control. It is. It, it should not be called as often as it is. You know what? Now let's just admit it. We've screwed the defenses, so let's make sure both offenses get the ball. No, but that's exactly what it is. I mean, and that, that's why it's happening this way, because all of the rules – are geared toward offense. All the rules are geared toward scoring points. 
And when you think about it, if you are two playoff teams, you're more likely to have two very good quarterbacks on the field. So it's like that's why you have to try to have things that are more fair because, oh, well, if Patrick Mahomes gets to go down the field, then so should Josh Allen. But then, like, everybody kind of is ignoring the fact that the very next week Patrick Mahomes got the chance to go down the field and defeat Joe Burrow, and he threw an interception. So defense can still do stuff. You know, the Bengals did stuff. That's why they won. And Joe Burrow then got the chance to go down the field and, and you know, make sure that the Bengals made it to the Super Bowl, and they did. So, like, I'm not, yeah. I'm not one that really feels like we had to do this, you know. But, you know, I understand why it was done, and now we'll see how it works. I'm glad we're going down this path of rule changes all being uh, to benefit the offense because the other thing that, that can kill a team on defense is one of your players, you know, uh, bumping into the quarterback – you know, not not in some violent action, and all of a sudden you get a 15-yard penalty for roughing the quarterback. I mean, that, that right. stuff's a little out of control, and I know it's a glamour position they're trying to protect it. Um, so let's bounce around the NFL a little <laughs> bit here. Uh, did, okay. did, the, did the state of New York and Buffalo just F uh, every city that has a, a stadium that's older than, like, 20 years? Is everyone now going to ask for, you know, and, and we're to blame, too. I mean, Nevada gave $750 million to the stadium project here, mm-hmm. but... Buffalo just you know lay the groundwork for freaking every Kansas City situation uh, to go out there and go you know we need a new stadium you know Dan Snyder you know what we need a new stadium we're gonna build it in Dumfries freaking Virginia thirty five miles away from DC and we want all the money too yeah I mean I don't know it it depends on the market you know I mean like listen Buffalo needs a new stadium all right and the the fear for them has been well our some team or some ownership group, I should say, going to move this team out of Buffalo. And the Pagoulas have been very, very strident in saying, no, we believe in Buffalo. This is the home of the Bills. It's the home of the Sabres. We believe in this place, and this is where this team is going to stay. And I think that's an important commitment to get, you know, when you have a stadium deal where the governor is somebody who really is a Bills fan, and like she wants the Bills to be in Western New York, and so they're going to stay in Western New York. I, I think it's more maybe um, a kind of model for a Kansas City. I don't necessarily think it's the same kind of model for someplace like Washington, where you're in the nation's capital, and who knows if Dan Snyder's you know, even going to still be the owner of that team. Apparently, he's not involved in the day-to-day operations of the commanders, even though he was on the stage presenting the commander's name and, you know, the images and all these the logos and all these different things. But that's what Roger Goodell said today. But I think that you can't just take Buffalo and say, well, this is a model for every place. It might be a model for your Kansas cities of the world, maybe the Charlottes of the world where, you know, the Panthers may or may not build a new state and perhaps the Nashvilles of the world in some way as well. But, I mean, if you can get a stadium built with private money in Los Angeles like that, like that's, the larger kind of metropolitan area you have, the more it's going to have to look like that. So I don't, I don't know that that's a really good answer to what you, the question you just asked me. But I, I you know, I mean, the <laughs> report today, or like you know, the Kansas City president was talking here um, at the owners' meetings, and he said, you know, well, we may be looking in Kansas for a new stadium, but the, the Chiefs are going to be playing in Arrowhead until twenty thirty one. So, like, that's kind of a discussion for down the road. But, yeah, it's also something that they have to maybe start thinking about here in 2022 to be like, all right, well, 
in 2026, 2027, then we'll be ready to start construction on someplace because we know that by then, yeah, Arrowhead's going to be a little bit dilapidated and it's going to be time for them to have a new stadium. Pro Football Talk, Miles Simmons. Check out his stories, including Andrew Barry on Baker Mayfield. We don't feel pressure to rush into anything. Mm-hmm. Is that believable? Is that believable? Yeah, I mean, it's believable because in the same way that it's believable that San Fran isn't rushing into anything with Jimmy Garoppolo. Um, their situations are a little bit different because Garoppolo, the only reason he hasn't been traded is because he had shoulder surgery, whereas Baker Mayfield, the reason that he hasn't been traded is because, I mean, there are questions about his play, and frankly, the seats have started to fill up on the merry-go-round, right? So, I mean, I don't really think that either one of those guys is going to get traded until after the draft, because at that point, then your places like Carolina, Pittsburgh, um, also Seattle, maybe even the Falcons are going to maybe be like, all right, well, we didn't necessarily draft the guy we wanted, so maybe Baker Mayfield's a better option, you know, as plan B, right? We didn't get the guy we wanted, so maybe Jimmy Garoppolo is a better plan B, because both of those quarterbacks have shown an ability to win a playoff game before. Right? Baker Mayfield, you know, for all that went wrong with him with Cleveland in 2021, in 2020 he was quite good. I mean, in 2018 he was quite good as well, helping the Browns you know, stay in playoff contention even as a rookie. So there's ability there. There's a reason why he was drafted number one overall. I think whatever team gets him next is going to get a really good Baker Mayfield, and he's going to go on a revenge tour, and it's going to be fun to watch. And Jimmy Garoppolo, I mean, look, he almost led the 49ers to the Super Bowl this year, again, for the second time in three years. So some team is going to be able, some teams are going to be able to get those guys. And, you know, the Niners and the Browns are both going to get some sort of draft compensation for them. I mean, Miles, you can make a case for Jimmy Garoppolo that outside of a missed throw against the Chiefs and Jaquiski Hart having hands of stone, could be a two-time Super Bowl winning quarterback at this point. Right? You, you can make that case for him. I I agree with your case about Baker Mayfield, but here's the question that I have for you. How in the hell did Chris Ballard manage to move Carson Wentz knowing what we know now about these other quarterbacks? Right? We knew we knew Jimmy Garoppolo was available. We probably in the back channels had a feeling that Baker Mayfield might be and Carson damn Wentz is going to be the starting quarterback in Washington. It, I think it's desperation, and I think it's, you know, just this thought that, well, I can win with this guy, which I don't really understand. I mean, but you hear the things that Jim Ursay or read the things that Jim Ursay has said about Carson Wentz since the end of the season, and it is unbelievable. Like, today, that Kiefer had a nice thread about, you know, all the things that Jim Ursay was talking about, and I'm sure he's probably got a story up or will have one up at theathletic.com, where Ursay was Really, I mean, just very direct in saying, yeah, we obviously needed to make a change. I mean, was it really that obvious just because you lost to the Jacksonville Jaguars in Week 18 and you lost to the Las Vegas Raiders in Week 17? I mean, there was something that really obviously rubbed Jim Ursay the wrong way about Carson Wentz. I frankly don't remember a time where a quarterback who has like decent stats was really pushed out so clearly by the owner. I mean, it is. It, it's unbelievable to me just the way that that worked. And now you see somebody in Ron Rivera who's like, yeah, no, I believe him. Yeah, 
I think he's going to be great. I think he's a solution. And it's like, yeah, I guess you have to say that in order to talk yourself into it at this point. But who knows if that's really, really, really going to be the case. Frankly, I don't necessarily believe that much in Carson Wentz, but it's going to be fascinating to watch how it plays out. Miles, what do you guys got planned for the NFL draft? I know it's a ways off, but uh, there's got to be a lot in the works for PFT. Oh, sure, absolutely. I mean, look, Chris Sims is coming out with his draft rankings. You can check those out on YouTube and at NBCSports.com. And, of course, they're interspersed into our videos at Pro Football Talk. But at least for the rest of the week, as we continue to wrap up the league meeting, which you know wrapped up today with Roger Goodell's press conference, there's still going to be more stuff to come out of that, and you can catch all of that at ProFootballTalk.com. One last thing. You get the choice of what to close on. Okay. Do you want to close with Jared Goff back on Hard Knocks or the best smackter, Will Smith? The best smackter? Yeah, let's go with the let's go with the latter. Okay. All right. So you are you on uh, Team Will Smith or uh, Team Chris Rock? I'm on Team. I don't know. I like. I don't think I'm on Team either. I think it's just like this weird thing that happened, and like I'm not. Oh, I'm not going to be like, oh, my God, it was assault. It's assault. Like, is it really? Like, he just went in and, like, slapped him. Like, if he had backhanded him, if he punched him, then, like, maybe. It's more like battery, according to some of the legal experts I've seen on Twitter. But, like, I understand having an emotional reaction. But I think if Will had just, like, shouted what he shouted instead of getting up and then, like, smacking Chris Rock across the face, then we all might be more... Team Will Smith. I don't necessarily think you need to like go smack somebody in the middle of a comedy set. Like, would you really have done that if that were like Ricky Gervais? Would you have done that if that were The Rock or Jason Momoa? I kind of doubt it. No, but I mean, you're, you just you just throw out three very extent, different options. I mean, you know, Ricky yeah, Ricky exactly. Gervais or you know or Jason Momoa. I mean, you're sizing up a whole different can of worms there. No, I know, but if you see what I'm, if you pick up what I'm putting uh, down, I get like there's, I get. You. I get you. There, there's some other things that are involved if it's Ricky Gervais or like Jeff Foxworthy or something, you know? That's, yep, that's why we, we always have small producers with small hands because if they punch back, not going to be a whole lot of power in those Burger King hands and they're not very intimidating. So we get very physical. So, you know, on this show, we were like, yeah, smack away. We get very physical on Cofield. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks, <laughs> like, oh, sure. I'm sure. Well, you know, you know Adam Hill's <laughs> out of control. He's, he's a wild beast who likes to fight all the time. So <laughs> exactly. I do know Adam, yeah. Yes, um, meek inherit the earth. All right, Miles, appreciate it. Have fun in Florida. Stay away from the lizards. I'll try, guys. Take care. All right. Miles kind of walked the, the middle road there. Uh, just heard from Jim Carrey this morning. Jim Carrey said uh, he would have gotten home after being smacked in the same scenario by one Will Smith and would have sued for $200 million. Cofield and company will be back in minutes right here on ESPN Las Vegas. The NFL is highly competitive as is, and in our conference has been a lot of talented players, high-profile players, I should say, right, that have been added. And I don't know if it makes you any more focused, but, like, do you take notice? Yeah, teams are getting better, you know, and, and, and that's who you're competing against. So I think it's something you take notice of for sure. Now, back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. Studio. Fiery stuff there from uh, Raiders coach Josh McDaniels on the AFC West. Which is exactly what Dave Ziegler said. We've had a lot of audio conversations, interviews the last couple of days with both McDaniels and Ziegler. And they're, listen, they're more engaging and they're more open than Belichick, but they absolutely have been trained in the Belichickian way. 
there is a delivery and then you listen to it and you're like, okay, that wasn't a whole lot there, but you know what? I appreciate you being nice to me and answering it. The Derek Jeter school of saying nothing while saying things is undefeated. It's awesome. It really is. It really is. Yeah. So, I mean, if imagine if he was like, nah, we're not, what happened? AFC, who, what are the other teams adding people? Had no idea. We just do, we do us. Ty- I wish I could. Tyreek Tyre- Tyre Hill's gone? Yeah! I didn't know that. I, mean, I wanted I'm- it to be more like Tyreek Hill. Yeah. I wanted it to be more like Tyreek Hill being like, uh, I'm sorry, who, the Jets? Oh, hell no. No. I was always going to Miami. That's what we you're, need. You're enjoying that, aren't you? I'm a Giants fan. There's not much I'm enjoying. Right. Well, but to pour a little salt in the wound of the poor Jets is, uh, is quite enjoyable. Just smack us Jets fans around. Um, we didn't get your take yesterday because you weren't on with us on the Oscars and uh, the best smacker and Smackgate. Um, Jim Carrey went on CBS this morning and uh, he's like, yeah, th- this whole thing, the way the way they handled it after Will Smith went up on stage and smacked the guy in the face was was just ridiculous. I was sickened. I was sickened by the standing ovation. I felt like Hollywood is just spineless on mass. And uh, it just it really felt like, oh, this is a really clear indication that uh, we're not the cool club anymore. Okay, I think he was being sarcastic at the end there. I I don't when when were you guys the cool club? And I'm not like a Hollywood hater. I actually like watching the Oscars. I admire what people do. I completely admire what comedians do, and especially comedians in these situations where they get up and essentially roast these egomaniacal stars. Right. I think it's it's tremendous. But he is right. To just for everyone to recover and go, poor Will. Let's give him a standing. What? What? He's not supposed to be here. He went up and smacked someone in the face. And Jim Carrey went even further, as you'll hear. Um, you know the conversation. Then move into like, why was he allowed to stay? Why isn't he facing any sort of real repercussions? There was some question today about if anyone else had walked from the audience and done that, they would have been escorted out by security or maybe even arrested. The police asked asked Chris if he had to file charges. They asked Chris, do you want to file charges? And Chris apparently said, no, he did not. He doesn't want the hassle. I'd I'd have announced this morning that I was suing Will for $200 million because that video is going to be there forever. It's going to be ubiquitous. You know, that insult is going to last a very long time. If you want to yell from the audience and disapprove or show a disapproval or say something on Twitter or whatever, you you know, you do not have the right to to walk up on stage and smack somebody in the face because they said words. You don't. But it's not like this is something unusual in our society. I mean... Give me a break. This is just this is the beginning of something. It's a continuation of something. I saw some person, woman, man. I don't know. I I can't tell how many of these are fake, but someone said, I know we're all still processing. But the way casual violence was normalized, the Oscars by a collective national audience will have consequences that we can't even fathom in the moment. Consequence. We're already doing it. This is the consequence. We just had Karens all over the country wanting to smack people in the face. Will Smith is a Karen. (laughs) Consequences to come. What are we talking about? Where have you you been? Candy? 
now. Now, do you want me now? I'm just. I'm I, don't sure I'm I don't I'm know. I don't know. I don't know. I know you don't know. You asked me for my opinion five minutes yeah, ago, and then, and then you went on ranting about casual violence and Jim Carrey, as though Jim Carrey is the arbiter of anything. <laughs> Why in the hell have we gone to liar, liar opinion on whether Chris Rock should have done something in response to Will Smith? Here's what I think about the whole thing. I spent. Oh. Ari should have gotten a break right then. Ari should have right right there. Here's what I think of the whole thing, break. <laughs> I spent 15 years in a relationship with the same person. And there were times when I felt like that person had been disrespected or insulted. And I wanted to say something to the person who did it. And she very clearly said to me, I can handle this. Uh-oh. And that's my thought, is that whether Will Smith should have gotten up and smacked Chris Rock or not, it wasn't his to figure out. It's Jada's to figure out. Jada can take care of it. Jada's pretty damn successful in her own right. And all I know is from the my experience, from the relationship I was in, I would have had hell to pay at home if I had gone up there and tried to handle it myself. I got to think about that one. Ari gets so scared when you actually, you take a breath. Oh, actually God. Oh, God. It, Jesus. God almighty. Chill chill now it's it's i always felt like it's one of those situations where you can't win because if you go and defend someone and you're out of line then you know you potentially embarrass someone if you don't do it then you, you could get the rash of crap that hey why didn't you do that you let me get disrespected so it's not an easy call i also and again i this is i find this situation fascinating but i i think there's a whole the more i read about this relationship and we still don't know everything about it the more i read about this relationship there are some battle scars along the way so, and every one of us has been in a relationship and we all know about battle scars. So if anyone in the audience who can't associate with that and you're like, I, why, why are you guys talking about this? Because we've all been there. We're like, I don't, you know what? I don't know what to do because I, I made a decision to do something. And I guess that was a wrong decision. Join the conversation on Twitter at Cofield and Co. Cofield and Company's Eye on Sports Betting with Sammy P. Sammy P. Sam Paniotovich is in. He gives out winning picks. He did real well, real well to this point in the NCAA tournament. We'll get to that so he can puff out his chest. But, you know, he's also become a watchdog for you, the people, and bad <laughs> parlays and uh, scurrilous activity behind the scenes. And uh, you're just attacking everyone. Uh, you've turned your attention from some of the newer females who were in uh, the handicapping game to uh, now one of the big boys uh, outside of the handicapping game. But, you know, he does a casual sports show. We like Dan Lebitard, apparently. You don't. Correction. It was one female, and it was the last time I will ever bring up a female's betting record. That's all I did. I brought up that this person was minus 30 units, and it was World War Three in the mention. So... Uh, that's the last time that will ever happen. And I don't hate Dan Levitard. I hate when sports bettors, the average Joes of the world, who work hard for their money, when they get suckered into a portal of crap. And that's what happened on Sunday. One of the first things I saw on Sunday morning when I logged into Twitter was Dan Levitard's show, which has 500,000 followers, tweet out, a parlay, a money line parlay. Here's our bet of the day. It was a two-team money line parlay, Miami to beat Kansas, St. Peter's to beat North Carolina. 
St. Peter's is plus 330. Miami's plus 225. So that's a 13 to 1 parlay. It has about a 7% chance to win. The fact that somebody who gets paid by a sports book can tell you to bet this awful parlay at said sports book is par for the course, guys. It's another day and another operator just trying to take money out of your pocket. And oh, by the way, both teams got smoked. Candy, would you like to calm Sam down with some of your knowledge? Or are you mad about this too? Well, no, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna get all fiery. Sam scolded me on the break uh, for being too excitable. So <laughs> I want to be. Eyes. I want to be the voice of reason. I want to be nice and calm. So I make sure everybody knows that brand new sports betters should definitely be out there parlaying huge underdogs. That should be your bet of the day always. Just. Take your money. Don't even deposit it into your sports betting account. Light it on fire in a trash can, and you'll get more entertainment out of watching that money burn than you will out of watching your parlay die. Steve, think about it this way. If 10,000 people that follow Dan Levitard, and again, he has almost 500,000 followers on Twitter, and that's where he tweeted the parlay out. Hey, bet this parlay at DraftKings. If 10,000 people bet $25, that's $250,000 for the book. It's a ton of money. I mean, I would like to brush it off by saying it's Levitard, so clearly it's a bit, but I don't know that everyone would know that it's kind of a joke. I don't think it's a joke. Money is not a joke to me. Unless it had a disclaimer on there. Of course, we're kidding. This is a stupid parlay, but through our agreement with our sportsbook backer, we have to put out parlays, but don't play our parlays. DraftKings would never allow that disclaimer. You know that, and I know that. All right. All right. Well, we might have another uh, SmackDown. A lot of, lot of issues here on the show where someone needs to be smacked. Um, what do you think of the smack? What do you think of the smack? And what would happen if they really fought? Are you on <laughs> Team Rock or, or Team Will Smith? I'm on Team Smith. You know, I'm, I'm rolling really? through Twitter. After that happens, uh, Sunday night, Final Four is set. The games are over in the Elite Eight. There's really no sports to watch, so flip the Oscars on for the Academy Awards, excuse me. And within about 20 minutes, Chris Rock gets, you know, smacked open-handed in the face, and I'm watching the responses on Twitter for about 15 minutes. And it's very pro-Rock. Wow, Rock has a steel jaw. Rock didn't budge. Rock laughed it off. And I'm thinking, I got to play into this. So I tweeted, you know, hypothetical odds that was sort of a joke. I put out Smith minus 275, Rock plus 225. And I was amazed. The mentions were mostly, oh, that's a steal on Rock. Give me Rock plus 225, which played into the fact that I think everybody would be sort of magnetically attracted toward Chris Rock and betting Chris Rock. I think the true number, if they fought, would be around minus 600, minus 700 on Will Smith. Jeff Sherman joined the party and just dropped the bomb. He goes, oh, pff, Smith minus 2,000, Rock 10 to 1. At which point, if you gave me Chris Rock at 10 to 1, I would bet that, wouldn't you? You'd have to. I mean. I think, I think you'd have to, or is this, this going to be, are you setting me up for another lecture on there are bets you make when you hear about value where there's really no value on the dog. 
this is not a lecture. This is reality. If you were to say, all right, the fight is minus 400, I, I would lay 400 with Will Smith. This is reality. But if you're going to tell me Will Smith is minus 2,000, all of a sudden I'm taking Chris Rock. You know, minus 2,000 implies a 95% chance. There is no way in hell that Chris Rock loses 95% of the time in the squared circle. There's no way that's accurate. I don't even know. How, how are you handicapping there? What, what, what are we basing this on? Well, clearly Will Smith is not emotionally put together at this point in time. So I imagine he could be all in his feels Touché. at least 10 Touché. times. Okay, he could go you out know Chris Ro- right. Yeah, Chris Rock could sling a right hook three or four times out of 100. I I just feel like, you know, Will Smith's going to win, you know, 75% of the time, but not 95. I thought way too much about this. Can we move on? <laughs> I, I tried to let you explain the whole case. You did it. We're good. Uh, are you going to my show now? Yeah, yeah. All right. Sam Payne out of it is with us from Nesson, FS1, Fox Sports. Um, are you going to win with Kansas at 20 to 1? There's nothing guaranteed about that, but explain the bet and then how you're going to try to make money here. Well, I mean, we sat here in November and I told you guys Kansas at 20 to 1, I thought was a decent bet. And uh, I thought they were as deep as they've been in a long time in Lawrence, Kansas. And it turns out that. You know, they're one of the best four teams or one of the remaining four teams, I guess, standing. And now they're a four and a half, five point favorite. I think the news is crushing for Villanova. The fact that their second leading scorer, Justin Moore, is out. He's not going to play torn Achilles. So that Villanova roster that only really ran six guys deep is now going to be down to five and a half guys, I guess. Um, so I, I feel like they're going to win that game. But what I did, Steve, and I was talking with. Mitch Moss from Beeson about this, and he's just elated at all the different ways you can bet this tournament now. You know, forget just the outrights. You can bet teams to make the championship, teams to make the final four, individual team totals. Kansas' total was two and a half. Duke's total was two and a half. Uh, conference totals, Big 12 was nine and a half. That sailed over. So you can bet so many different ways now. And you know, Mitch was saying he feels like he's had more action than ever, but he's made less bets because he's bet these different regions and he's bet team total overs and all that. And here's the other interesting thing. You can now bet national title stuff mid-game. You know, three years ago, five years ago in Vegas, when the ball goes in the air in the morning, the national title board comes down. They've left it up, a lot of these books. And Mitch grabbed 95-1 to 1 on North Carolina when they were down against Baylor. I mean, what a great bet that is. But the fact that you can bet this stuff all day tournament day is awesome. So what I did after Gonzaga lost immediately, I tweeted this out at Chicken X Dinner. I told my people, I said, hey, you got to bet Duke about five to one. You have to now because Duke has the easiest path on the left side of the bracket. So right now we're sitting pretty good. Kansas at uh, 20 to one, uh, Duke at plus 450. They're both favored by four or four and a half. Um, if they meet in the title, man, <laughs> I'll, I'll be chilling. I'll be chilling. I'm going to bring up one last thing. We'll just say you and I had this conversation off the air. Wink, wink. Sam Paniotovich is with us. I want you to roll through your uh, AL Central, uh, your White Sox logic, that you think the White Sox are going to freaking clean house in that division because you don't like the Twins. I don't like the Twins' rotation. Their offense on paper is solid, but Carlos Correa, Byron Buxton, and Miguel Sano, plus Gary Sanchez now, you have four guys who essentially could be 
the cover for the board game operation. I mean, they're always hurt in some way, shape, or form. All four of those guys are, are always hurt. The rotation is god-awful. Um, you know, Dylan Bundy's like the number two starter, which is a problem. Uh, the Tigers are too young. The Guardians don't call them. The Indians stink, and the Royals suck. Um, so, you know, the White Sox 10 days ago are minus 180. I thought that was a great bet. So we laid a little bit of that. Now they're 200. Still think that's cheap. I mean, I would argue that the White Sox have a 70 or 80% chance to win this division. And if that math is accurate, they should be minus 300 or minus 400. So, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be happy to lay 180, now 200, when I think the true number should be three or four to one. It's the old Mayweather and McGregor thing. Let yeah. everybody else bet the dogs, and I will bet the favorite at a cheap price. I'm not laying 500 on the White Sox, but, yeah, I'll, I'll lay two to win one. I don't do it often, but if I feel like they're that dominant, best rotation, best bullpen, best lineup, and a manager who knows how to win a World Series, let alone a division, minus 200 can be cheap. Candy, I'll run it by you. If if I look at win totals, is a good way to – to judge value on this bet, uh, the White Sox are basically 13 games or more clear of the other teams on the win totals. You know, the biggest reason that I would take Sammy's advice on this is that the White Sox are so much better than every other team in that division that they can have things go wrong and still win it because the Twins rotation is that bad. Gary Sanchez is hitting under 200 for a good portion of last year, so let's not even go there about what the offense is. And the other three teams are non-competitive. Maybe the Tigers can be frisky and finish third, but the White Sox can lose guys and still win that division. The White Sam, Sox last yeah. year, Steve, the White Sox last yeah. year, what did they win, 92 games? And that was with two months of Luis Robert and three months of Ole Jimenez. If those guys play a buck 40 or a buck 50, this team can win 95 games. And there's nobody in that division that's touching that. Sam, let's close on this. What are you up to tonight? Are you uh, you around the Bruins? I was there. I was going to stay there and do this from the phone, but uh, I, they wanted me to make a, a pick on pregame, and I said over six goals, and I almost got laughed off the set. Uh, <laughs> two goals, two goals in the first five minutes. It's three to one after one. So I just went home. I said my work here is done. So that's why I'm in the crystal clear studio here. In the uh, in the apartment, yeah. So I I I just I didn't even look at them as I walked out. I said, "All right, I got to go do Cofield and wow. Candy. I'm out of here." Awesome, confident, confident. Uh, we appreciate it. Good luck, man. I hope you uh, you get something out of the Kansas bet. You deserve it because you got you know when you search for the good numbers and you actually get the good numbers, you shouldn't be screwed in the end. Just think of me when you're watching that Final Four on Saturday. Just think of me if the Jayhawks win it. See you, Sam. See you. There he is, Sam Paniotovich, Nesson, Fox Sports. All right, coming back, we do have some UNLV news to get to. Uh, arguably their best – it's not arguably. It, their best returning scorer has put his name in the NBA draft, Donovan Williams, so we'll get to that. A little bit on the quarterback situation. Spring practice open today for UNLV football. And then back to a lot of the NFL, uh, including Dave Ziegler and his decision-making, which has us uh, pretty fired up about his approach. Um, there's nothing scintillating when you hear Dave Ziegler talk, and that's the way it's supposed to be. Finley Toyota in the Valley Auto Mall has the largest Toyota service facility in Nevada.